Hello everybody and welcome to WTS 152. My name's Danny Murray. I'm Graham Merrigan. And where are you coming to you from? Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel, East Ballybrack. Alright. Not Cliney, East Ballybrack. <laughs> oh, unless you're an American tourist in which case it's no, very much so Cliney. We're working class here. Except if you go into a restaurant where it is <laughs> Michelin star cuisine at working class prices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they put on a good meal, that's how many I'm saying. Get the plug in there. <laughs> Absolutely. Go to fitzpatrickcastle.com where you'll find out a lot more than what we're able to tell you. Mero. Yes. Who is our guest this week, Budge? It's a return. Yes. Finally a return. <laughs> Last time we had our wonderful guest on it was episode 70 back in yeah. October 2016 what could um, you just recall on that naturally from your wonderful brain <laughs> yeah, I always remember <laughs> he's a St. Patrick's athletic fan unfortunately I forgive him for that um, I picked him up in a Sean Rovers jersey yeah purposely is that a new jersey is it yeah it's a new way one and right. um, he's a social historian he's been involved in uh, RTE's fantastic series National Treasure yeah and he's the man behind come here to me Donald Fallon yes thanks for coming back good to be back yeah when yeah. I walked out of the train station the first thing I saw was the Rovers jersey which annoyed <laughs> me but then when I got into the car uh, Graham gave me something which I'm very touched by which was the, the set list for a, a Morrissey gig ah. in Vicker Street in what 2011 2011 there are yeah. much simpler times to follow Morrissey yeah. <laughs> than, than today will we go straight in with Morrissey maybe we will go straight yeah. in with Morrissey let's go right into it the deep end it was simpler times okay. to follow yeah, Morrissey it was simpler times and I mean who believed that the son of Irish immigrants called Stephen Patrick Morrissey would be saying such awful reactionary things uh, in 2018. It's very difficult. I think he's really tested the patience of a lot of people. Yeah. Alienated people. Myself. Absolutely. I had tickets to go see Morrissey this weekend uh, in Manchester. He was due mm. to play Manchester Saturday, Sunday. He cancelled the entire UK and European tour. So I think he's kind of in, in crisis. And I like to think that, you know, the, the sweet son of Irish immigrants dancing around with flowers and Talking about romance, he's still there somewhere. Right. Yeah. I don't know where he's buried at the moment. What do you think? What has gone on in his head? Like, is he supporting Tommy Robinson now? Yeah, or Stephen Lennon, you know, another Irish immigrant. Tommy yeah. Robinson's yeah. real name is Stephen Steve Lennon. Lennon. He has yeah. a couple of pseudonyms, doesn't he? He does. I think Morrissey. A couple of what? Pseudonyms. 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 I just like doing this to him. <laughs> <laughs> anyone, anyone in Dublin who can who can pronounce words properly is suspect to me. Love it, Donald. His best one ever, and it's one that's gone down in legend because people still say it to me, and I still laugh at it. Was Kuldisak? What's that thing? Kuldisak. The accent. The Kuldisak. <laughs> anyway, so I, I think Morrissey longs for this Britain, which is like Coronation Street, and you know Sheila Delaney's like a taste of honey, like this 1950s, 1960s poverty porn. Salford and Manchester and everyone drinking cups of tea and that doesn't really exist anymore yeah. you know and I think some of it I understand that it's kind of half-baked stuff like I understand the, the hostility to say the European Union and I understand why someone would be pro-Brexit you know and there's a good left-wing argument there too but the stuff around mass immigration I think is just phenomenally bizarre yeah. not least coming from someone who's a product of mass immigration. Yeah, and he's after he's living in America now himself. Yeah, well, he, he described himself at his, uh, his 40th birthday gig in the Manchester Arena. He described himself as 10 parts Crumlin, 10 parts Old Trafford. So he should remember that. That's how he described himself. 
Is that when Damien Dempsey supported them as well? No, 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 that was more recent. That was more recent. But it's a, it's a beautiful DVD called Who Put the M in Manchester. Right. Ah. He describes himself at the beginning as 10 parts Crumlin, 10 parts Old Trafford. Wow. So it's funny. You know, and he's someone that I think has always been influenced by a lot of left-wing thinkers. Yeah. Like Pierre Pasolini, the Italian director. It's a massive influence on the way Morrissey thinks about the world. And I always thought about Morrissey as someone off the left. Yeah. You know? But... Uh, it's very, very baffling. He loves Oscar Wilde as well, he doesn't does, he? does, yeah. And Oscar was a great kind of progressive champion. Yeah. I think some of it is just wrapped up in the animal rights stuff. I mean, some of the mm. anti-Islamic sentiment is probably to do with halal meat more than anything. Yeah. But it's, okay. it's really painful <laughs> to watch So do you think happen. he's taken his um, Meals Murder kind of campaign to a whole new le- level I, I, and just taken all sorts of politics out on everyone? Yeah, and also, I mean, people people age and, you know, he's been through a hard road in terms of his own health and other things. And yeah. I think he just distrusts the media, which isn't an unhealthy thing, yeah. you know, distrusting the media. We should all distrust the media a little bit more. But I, I, think, he, I think he feels under siege. He thinks he's, there's a siege mentality there that the media's out to get him. And some of what he says makes sense. And unfortunately, these days, an awful lot of it doesn't. I think... It's interesting, especially the, the 10 parts Crumlin, 10 parts Old Trafford, especially when you put into context, say, like a song of his, like uh, Irish Blood, English Heart. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and then when when you juxtapose that against the kind of rhetoric that he's coming out at the moment, yeah, it's, uh, I'm a little bit uneasy with it, if I'm being honest with you. There's times where I'm, where I'm reading this, because I'm a fan, and there's times where I'm reading his pieces, there's contributions, and I'm kind of just putting my head hands in my head I'm kind of going what yeah. is going on here and then a few days later you will hear him kind of retract or no this is what I was meant to say mm. and, well, and I didn't say that to the journalist what was the the one most recently the Spiegel interview in Germany yeah, yeah. it was horrific it was horrific that's that's the one where that, that's what I, I remember that I read is that, that when we stopped using the, the I, intro I, I, yeah that I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, was yeah. the straw that broke the camel's back yeah. you listen yeah. to early Morrissey stuff that the beautiful song Interesting Drug Kirsten McCall and he says you know young married couple in debt have you ever felt had on a government scheme designed to kill your dreams you know yeah, he kind of hated yeah. the Tories and he hated the political class in Britain and now like he's aligning with some of the most reactionary voices in British politics this woman yeah. Anne-Marie Waters who is essentially to the right of UKIP you think the answers are to the right of UKIP and, like the British Labour Party is currently led by Jeremy Corbyn who's uh, very progressive who's vegetarian which probably means more to Morrissey than anything else yeah. to be honest why isn't Morrissey like coming out and saying he supports the British Labour Party it's nuts isn't yeah. it it's nuts it's nuts there's never been a mainstream political leader that I would consider more in te- more in keeping mm. with how I thought Morrissey thought about the world yeah Do you, and, and I look I mean we're, we're sitting here in East Ballybrack of uh, July 4th <laughs> hypothesizing over all this but what do you think he's going through a crisis of identity himself in a way like i think so i think the the recent recent year has been difficult in terms of his own personal health mm. and other things i think the manchester bomb had a psychological effect yeah. on him it happened on his birthday in, a, in an arena that he's played an awful lot i've seen him in the manchester yeah. arena and i think sometimes when something as awful as that happens and there's nothing worse than teenage girls yeah. being blown to smithereens going to see a pop concert i think the horror of that you know he yeah. had that knee-jerk reaction Mm. And he ran with it, and it was it was just ridiculous. I think I can't remember who who said it. I, I don't think it was Morrissey at all now, but I can't remember. It was um, it was actually after the the Bataclan Theatre uh, massacre with um, the Eagles of Death Metal, and they kind of said like that when these terrorists attack a concert or like something like that, they're kind of attacking the way your your way of mm, life. They're, mm, they're kind mm. of saying like we're not into this kind of free 
mass movement of people enjoying something that can be slightly provocative that can you know want you to express this freedom of emotion this freedom of opinion mm. so they attack that and those ideals are something that you would have thought early Morrissey certainly was into mm. this whole idea of expression this whole idea of freedom of all that and yet now when you I hadn't actually thought about it the whole Manchester attack effect and the way it does but when you're saying it I'm like yeah do you know what that pills mm. another layer back off of from yeah, you like? yeah and you know it's um, it, it is very very sad to see it happen but Paul Heaton from the beautiful south great mm. band uh, yeah. he's a bit of a Sean Grover's man I think. he is yeah, he's yeah, out of the stadium. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Paul Heaton came out and he said sorry if Britain isn't British enough for you anymore yeah. Stephen Patrick Morrissey you know, there's a certain, yeah. there is an irony in it and I think Heaton called him out in it and the thing I would say is like if you think Tommy Robinson and the EDL and Anne-Marie Waters and all these people are the are going at a barrier against Islamism yeah. you're wrong I mean the people that fought ISIS in the Middle East directly were the left you know the Kurds the PKK yeah. the YPG and many people from the British left travelled over and fought with them all the EDL did was get drunk and march around the streets yeah Tommy Robinson's yeah. done nothing he's like a throwback he's like the reeling in the ears England fans at like Italian 1990 that's all he is but why yeah, are people yeah. supporting him though why is he well he's not getting more support his support seems to be declining but I'm seeing people on Facebook on my friends list like I see <laughs> someone share a petition to free Tommy Robinson yeah it was like some of what yeah. the EDL oh, the EDL doesn't exist anymore I don't want to call that a football lads alliance <laughs> some of what they talk about is, is legitimate stuff I mean people working class people in England are concerned about things like paedophile gangs they do mm. exist they're a yeah. real problem but you don't uh, go after them that's not the way you know what I mean as in the, yeah. the response of let's just all march down the street chatting the EDL that's not doing anything whatsoever yeah. there's yeah. no solutions in, in that solution I would argue is always in kind of organised left wing politics I think part of what you're saying though and, and it's something that kind of the more I read about the more I kind of think is that people buy into fear as a commodity mm. and people sometimes especially in this age of getting your news from social media they don't necessarily look for a full story no they they read the headline and they go oh well I mean if that's saying it and this person who I know in my real life has shared this therefore mm. it must be true you know mm. and they jump on something because like you said the whole idea of like mass pedophile gangs and this idea of you know people are coming from a foreign country and they want to impose their way of life upon you exactly and, mm. did you see the video online where they were um it was labelled uh, Muslims closing a road during Ramadan and start mm. ramsacking a car. But it was a, a match in Switzerland yeah. between two sets of fans. Yeah. yeah and I don't believe that. Yeah. But that happens so often, though, that sort of thing, where videos go up with one label and then people actually find out, you know, And the liberals shared all that as well. Of course they do. The only wise thing Morrissey said in recent years is stop watching the news because the news is contrived to frighten you. And that's yeah. definitely true. And true. I don't know where he's getting his alternative news from, but he should probably find a new source. Yeah. Absolutely. We have to move on because if we talk about Morrissey too much, it's going to break my heart. Well, just, are you upset what? about yeah. it? <laughs> I am, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Like other people in Dublin, like Will St. Ledger, who's a real hero of mine in Dublin, you know, the street artist and the gay rights activist, mm. going at it for years. Like Will St. Ledger is a massive Morrissey fan. And uh, I know he's kind of struggled with it as well. And other people that I know who who've been following Morrissey for years there's something like you know that Smith's line it takes strength to be gentle and kind like there's something yeah. about the street about Smith's that was just really special mm. and uh, yeah it's just sad that someone who came from that Back from that on. tradition could become what Morrissey has become but I mean if you look at someone like Damien Dempsey Morrissey's very close to Damien Dempsey and has mm. brought Damien over to play with him in Britain and the like look at the difference in what Damien Dempsey says to people you know and that language of that very positive language of hope and 
progressive ide- ideology and what Morrissey is saying in recent times. If you're listening to Damo, please sit down with Morrissey and, and, and shake him. Yeah, shake him. Have a word. Um, He's still in there somewhere. Yeah. Just to maybe move a slightly parallel to what you're saying and to get away from Morrissey, but to kind of stick with a couple <laughs> of teams that came up there, the kind of distrust of the media and this whole idea of news sources and that. Uh, by the time this goes out, of course, the whole story may have unfolded, but uh, our fearless leader, Leo Varadkar, has landed in a bit of hot water over his <laughs> comments on media, albeit him behind closed doors, and he didn't think to get out. It's Thousand, Leo. Everything gets out, mate. Everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my um, views on Leo Varadkar, like he's, he's funny because in some ways he's the most socially progressive Taoiseach that mm. we've had in history to state, but he's fiscally very, very conservative. You know, he's yeah. very right-wing in terms of how he thinks. And he has this kind of Thatcherite idea of um, the, 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 the on, on, what's the word, the undeserving poor in some ways. Yeah. And this view of people on benefits that I think is quite disgusting. But at the same time, he has very strong progressive credentials when it comes to things like marriage equality, abortion. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of like Justin Trudeau and, and uh, Macron and this kind of new emerging political class yeah, yeah. that are socially liberal but economically conservative. And uh, he, he comes out sometimes with some whoppers. He really yeah. does. And I think this was an absolute whopper. Yeah, I think it's up there with the whole, uh, well, it's probably worse than the whole welfare cheat, cheat us all thing. I think that was definitely um, an own goal. But this and his early risers. Remember the line about the early oh, risers? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the early risers. And he was yeah. worried about his socks. He's painfully yeah. cool as well. Or he tries to be cool. I mean, he goes to oh. the body and soul and he oh. goes to LCD Sense System and he yeah. probably does his weekly shopping in Fallon and Burns you know he's oh, just he a certain kind of does. very cool political leader and a little bit like Justin Trudeau you're not as cool mm. as you think you are you know? yeah that's uh, I think that's 100% true with Trudeau as well yeah he makes me sick seeing people getting photos of him with body and soul and all yeah, selfies it's crazy and all. isn't it yeah, yeah it's crazy well, and the si- I fancy Simon Harris all that stuff as well it's like, oh, oh, these lads but that, that oh. all annoyed me over the referendum, the result, and they were getting all the praise. Those bastards only got involved in February. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's a video of Varadkar being interviewed three years ago saying that he's anti-abortion. Yeah. You know, and uh, as a GP, he should have known better than that, I think. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, yeah, I mean, politicians are very clever. They can tell what way the wind is blowing. And oh, once yeah. it was obvious that there was a popular sea change, uh, they changed their tune entirely. But I, I've no problem with people doing a U-turn, and I've no problem with people changing their mind based on, you know, them reading up on something or them... You yeah. know, now subscribing to facts that previously they didn't. I think it's it's good and it shows evolution of character. And I think if you're the same person you were four years ago, then you know, you, mm. you need to look at things yourself. Yeah, absolutely, but, good point. Yeah. But uh, I also think that, as you said, politicians live by the seat of their pants, and they yeah. know <laughs> very much so that. Hang on a second. The, the tide is turning here, and if we keep standing where we're going, we're going to get swept away. So, so do you think they did it because of the? The, Absolutely. The, the social. What's the story with the famous general looking out the window during a conflict, during a battle, and he's asked, "What side are you on?" And he says, mm. "It's too early to tell." You know? Yeah. I'll wait, yeah, I'll wait yeah. and see who wins. And there's a lot of that in Irish politics. Definitely. But yeah. the only party leader that was brave enough to put their face on a poster was mm. uh, Mary Lou Macdonald. Mary Lou, mm. yeah. And those Sinn Féin posters. That was yeah. a very brave thing to do. Brand new party leader. Yeah. Everyone felt it was going to be. I felt it was going to be fifty-two forty-eight one way or the other. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a lot closer. At one point, I actually thought that that it wasn't going to pass. I. I genuinely fearful that it wasn't going to pass um, I thought it was going to be very very close yeah as a historian like for me it was just 
things are not meant to change that much that quickly when you and study yeah. history, you know, and it's a, it's nearly the 1983 result flipped on its head. Yeah, I was going to say, and you just covered a blog recently on it. Yeah, we, yeah. Did a, we did a blog post looking at the um, the 83 referendum, mm. and it was called uh, a ballot box in one hand and a Carmelite in the other, which is what the newspaper said at the time. I like that. I like and that. I mean, the, the reason they won in 83, the likes of the Society for the Protection of the Unborn Child, Youth Defence, basically, mm. and all them, because they were, they were the grassroots, like they were battering the doors in 83 yeah. and they were showing up at constituency offices and saying what side are you on and basically harassing TDs even Labour Party TDs into coming out for the 8th Amendment yeah. in 83 but this time the grassroots was on the other side and it was amazing just seeing kids like seeing like yeah. 16 year old kids out knocking, people that were too young to vote themselves mm. knocking on doors yeah. wearing those jumpers and everything else I love that though. I think that kind of momentum is always a yeah. good thing I think know? social media has played a big part in it too because yeah. it's given you know, younger generations of platform that, you know, like as you said, like the whole going out knocking on doors and all that, I don't think a lot of people would have got involved in that unless they had seen mm. people of the same kind of generation, the same kind of belief system and that, that they're on the opposite side of the country that they wouldn't know about and then they see it on Twitter and they're like, well, if they're doing it, you know yeah, what? Yeah, well, yeah. you haven't lived until you've been chased out of someone's driveway by a barking dog. You know, <laughs> <laughs> better, better for not to happen because of politics yeah. than delivering yeah. leaflets for a pizzeria. You know, but I have a few experiences yeah. of, uh, of that happening and I think seeing, seeing young people, and they are young, you know, mm. and I'm not trying to become sending to them young people, yeah. but yeah. to see like teens getting so involved in something like that, I think that was very, very good. But social yeah. media, is, it, 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 it's, it's something of an echo chamber and mm. coming up to the referendum, I thought, all right, yeah, so Twitter wants it to pass. That doesn't mean it'll pass. Yeah, But there yeah. was something in, in the, there was a silent, I think in 83, there was probably uh, a silent pro Eighth Amendment voter, you know, and this mm. time it was the opposite. I think in rural Ireland, there was a silent repeal voter. Yeah. There were people in the countryside who, I, I went around the country a week before the referendum, uh, just bringing American students around Ireland. And you didn't see a yes poster in rural mm. Ireland. You just saw no, 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 everywhere. Yeah. So if you were voting yes in, you know, Bally McBollocks down in Kerry or whatever, yeah. you were not going to say it, I don't think, yeah. uh, in the public yeah. house. But there was a massive silent yes there. And that came true. Nearly every constituency in the country. You know, the, yeah. the, the, the artists and the musicians that supported in 83, well, they didn't want, the, obviously, the Eighth Amendment at all. And the same musicians came out. Some of them, this, Christy Moore. Yeah, yeah this time around. Oh, I'm convinced, particularly only because because I'm obsessed with Christy Moore, but his his a lot of his um, interviews were done, and they were done in that whole um, Twitter kind of era um, way where it's the video. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's you just press press play in a tweet, and it kind of went viral and all stuff like that. Did they not have that influence in '83? Those artists and musicians. Well, you have to remember, like someone like Christy Moore in 1983 is a marginalised figure in Ireland because yeah. he's very much he's associated with Irish Republicanism. One of his records, H-Block, brilliant record, put a ledger in the hunger strikes. Like he launches it in um, that pub, the oldest pub in Dublin down by the River Liffey, the Brazenhead. The Brazenhead, yeah. And the special branch come in the door and confiscate all the records. So Christy Moore in the 1980s is someone that's being followed around the streets of Dublin by the special branch. Right. Do you know, he's yeah. like, a, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's a politically radical, dangerous figure as far as the state's concerned. But I think someone like Christy Moore today is more of a respected national yeah. so his, his, his opinion of him has evolved as much yeah, as it has. I think so. The, I yeah. think so. Mm. But the people that came out in 83, like Sinead O'Connor and, and Christy, it was a very brave thing. You were putting your career on the line, I think, in 83, going up against people like the Society for the Protection of the Unborn Child. I mean, the yeah. influence they had. And the way they used street politics, they were physically violent. Mm. They ran people off the streets. They controlled the streets in 83. But clearly they don't anymore. 
How will you look back on this referendum in 10, 15 years' time? I collected loads of stuff uh, for the Dublin City Library Ar- Archive on Pierce Street. I think all that matters, you know, so yeah. ephemera, the badges and the leaflets and all of that. And I think, you know, ultimately uh, money lost on this occasion. Yeah. And that's unusual in politics that that happens. Mm. Uh, and so much money. I mean, we, I just got a shoebox full of no literature. A lot of it printed by foreign-based organisations. Yeah. It didn't count for anything, you know. I think the the likes of that Facebook page in her shoes, human stories, people that had gone mm-hmm. over to England. I mean, that's just that's what did it. That's human emotion will always be massive sums of money. Yeah, it's mental. How did you think of some of the backlash and some of our artists that were coming out and voting now? Very few. I mean, the only one that comes to mind for me is John Connors, uh, and I thought the response to John on Twitter was absolutely disgusting mm. and in other places too yeah. it's kind of like you know, you're, you're our favourite traveller when we agree with you but yeah. when you say something we disagree with you're, you're in a bad knacker now again and there was yeah. a bit of that I think I think there was a condescending view you know that John didn't understand what he was talking about or I don't agree mm. with what John said but I think it came from somewhere deep inside yeah. him and reflects something well, you know d- definitely it's, it's interesting because we had John on a couple of months before the referendum and kind of the last 10 or 15 minutes that he was here on the podcast the referendum came up and he said to us he was like originally I was going to vote to repeal but now I can't mm. and, and he explained his reasons to us and it wasn't in any way heated it wasn't it was actually just like, like sit back and just he gave his opinion I think Meryl you gave yours mm. I just kind of sat back for like five minutes <laughs> I watched the show yeah yeah <laughs> but that's, but, but that's I what was he like, said Danny, I, help me. <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to end up in a debate with John Connors mm-hmm. you know no, but, but the beauty of it was there was no there was no dickheadery about it. It was yeah. just two people just saying, like, I think X, you think Y. Yeah. But hey, that's what we're here for, you know? And I see an absolutely no problem with him expressing that. And then on Twitter as well, I know towards the, the actual vote day, John got more vocal and, and definitely start uh, maybe putting out more provocative stuff mm. in terms of the no vote. But at the same time, it's his prerogative, the same way anybody who voted yes at their prerogative. And, and he's a fundamentally progressive person, you know, yeah, and overall, that's, that yeah. shouldn't be forgotten. And I, I think John Connors is still someone that I would think of as being on the left, you know, mm. and uh, I think he's a very, very important voice in Ireland. And I hope that he doesn't see doors closed to him now because yeah. of his views on that one issue, because the likes of the documentary that he did on, on travellers in Ireland, Brilliant. absolutely amazing. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The history in that. Yeah, yeah, say you were loving it, oh, right? yeah. yeah, I mean, my parents grew up beside uh, Liam Weldon in Ballyfermot, who was a brilliant traveller, a folk singer. Mm. And uh, some of his songs are coming back now because there's bands like, you know, Lancome that have kind of taken off yeah. and they sing his songs. And that oral tradition that the travellers have is very, very strong. And I think John is kind of tied into all of that. He has a sense of the travelling community's place in yeah, Irish yeah. history and culture. And uh, he's, he's just a really talented man, you know. He is. He's a brilliant, he's, he is a national talent. And, and he's brilliantly open about his own problems and his own struggles as mm. well. And I think that sense of vulnerability is something that I think needs to be expressed especially because of you know the, the problems that you hear of in the traveller community especially around suicide and that mm. kind of thing so having somebody like him um, speak on a public setting I think is absolutely oh, yeah. brilliant you know? um, historically with um, the tolerance of people's opinions I think because of social media we obviously see it a lot more and obviously the reaction of John's um, opinion about the referendum and it was a bit mm. of a backlash from people mm. saying how can you be a Republican and about equality and then yeah vote no but do you think like historically did we cater for opinions do you know what was you just mentioned that thing about republicanism mm. that was pulled in by all sides in referendum and I found that really really annoying that poster mm. 
cherish all the children of the nation equally. Mm. That line in the proclamation has nothing to do with children. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a reference to Protestants. Pierce for years was banging on about this idea that the children of the nation were everyone who lived in Ireland. If you're a Catholic, Protestant, dissenter, yeah. you're a child of the nation. So to see something like that taken just totally out of context and thrown up on a pole uh, and people told you you're a bad nationalist, you're a bad Republican if you vote this way, I thought that was mad. Yeah. And the other side you had like, I saw these stickers around town of Countess Markovic, you know, vote repeal. Uh, like Markovich voted against the treaty in 1922 and when she stood up in the doll she said this treaty will lead to English immoralities like divorce so are we meant to believe that a woman who stood up in the doll and denounced divorce yeah. would be walking around Dublin in a, in, like I don't think it makes you uh, a good or bad Republican you mm. know, the way you fell on the on the issue but that was really pushed that was really really pushed out was, there wasn't yeah. it that poster was absolutely insane but yeah. as a historian then are you like are you kind of going mad I just, I just get sick of people talking for the Because you always walk around the city, so you would have seen yeah, all this. Yeah, people talk for the dead a lot in this country. I was just going to say, so much honest, of that. Yeah. If James Connolly was alive today, he'd think this. If Patrick Pearce was alive today, he'd think this. And we don't know what they think about anything. Yeah. They could have gone anyway. You know, 100 years like, later, what We would don't know how Connolly and Pearce... Well, I would like to think Connolly would have opposed the treaty, but we don't know. Yeah. Do you know, when it came down to it, like we, they didn't live, and, and uh, you can only make decisions alive. I thought that Waterford Whispers News article was very funny. Patrick Pierce, you know, yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a vote because I'm dead. Yeah, 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 <laughs> so, yeah. So, exactly. Like, sad for, like. But it's very easy to, to it's, a, it's an abuse of history. It happens everywhere, by the way. Yeah. But I think in Ireland, it's particularly common. Oh, the men of 1916, if they could see this country today, or the yeah. women of 1916, if they could see this country today, and the women in particular, the women of the revolutionary generation have been reinvented. Yeah. As these great firebrand feminist brow burners or something, mm. you know, and most of them weren't. Most of them were quite conservative. Rosie Hackett, you know, the bridge over yeah, the Liffey. Yeah. Rosie Hackett was a member of the Legion of Mary. Yeah, right. Daily mass communicant, you know. And she's become this kind of feminist icon. So I think, let them rest. They did what they did. They believed mm. in national sovereignty. They went out and fought for that for six years. And that was a good enough fight in itself. But turning around saying if they were alive today, they'd agree with me. I think it's just... Nonsense. Nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. And with, with the tolerance of opinions, though, have you seen that through your readings? Like... I just I don't know how I'm trying to articulate this mm. question, but it just seems that we've no tolerance for opinions anymore. Like John Connor says, "Vote no," and next minute he's getting hurled <laughs> abuse. Do you know what I mean? Like, what's the equivalent of that? Mm, yeah. Say in the 50s, 60s, yeah, or was point, there an equivalent? Point, um, in the absence of social media, like there, no, I mean because there were. Yeah, the absence of social media. Yeah. We always we always hear, uh, "Take me back to the good old nineties." Yeah. You know, where you can leave the front door open. You know, you know we don't have, though, in, in Ireland today, and I wish we did, we, I don't think we have a solid um, alternative media of any kind, like a newspaper that reflects a diversity of opinions. I'd love there was a newspaper in Ireland that, say, people like John Connors and Frankie Gaffney and people like that were writing for. Uh, from time to time, they both pop up in the mainstream press, but not a lot. And we don't really have anything like, even like, like The Guardian. Like mm. The Guardian in Britain. Is like it's now a centrist newspaper. It's yeah. kind of to the left. It's a liberal paper. We don't even have anything like that on our shelves here. So we don't really have a diversity of opinion. Uh, we definitely don't have a diversity of opinion on the radio. Maybe yeah. because we're a very small country as well. Is the journal not like the air equivalent uh, to the Guardian? In some ways, maybe it yeah. is. Maybe it is. And the journal, in fairness, the opinion section of the journal can be very diverse. And you do get a diversity of opinion there. Yeah. But it's but, a small but country, even, you know, and, and the media reflects that maybe. And you have to look as well. I don't think you can call it all that liberal and progressive and all that when you look at media ownership either you know what I mean I was just going to say there's a man that's running our media at the moment so I mean you yeah. can't really well 
All right, go on. Where are you going with this? No, I'm just saying that it's it would be hard <clears throat> because of let's say if you had the equivalent of the Guardian in Ireland, mm. they would just be trying to nail this man all the time. And I'm, it's my opinion that this man has bought a lot of. Say his name, will you? No. There's a, there's you're talking about Dennis, talking about, talking about Dennis O'Brien. Dennis O'Brien. <laughs> if, if this man, like he's Voldemort. But like we have, um, we have Village magazine. Yeah. Which does kind of good expose pieces now mm-hmm. and then, and it even goes after Dennis O'Brien, and people don't really support it. Uh, yeah. Dublin Inquirer, which is a good in, independent newspaper in Dublin, that yeah. often goes after the council uh, when they deserve to be gone after. Yeah. And I don't think people support that to the extent they should either. So, yeah. wherever someone does try and do independent media in Ireland, I think we've an obligation to get behind it mm. to a greater extent than we than we do really at the moment. But those people are all still trying and they're maybe opening up new doors. Yeah. I think that Dublin Inquirer newspaper is great because they really go after just gombianism yeah. by the city council. And their journalists, God help them, because they actually go and sit at council meetings, which must be just mind-numbing. Self-promoting, unqualified political yeah. class in Europe banging on about nonsense and Dublin Inquirer like report on what was promised and why hasn't it happened and when is it going to happen and will it ever happen yeah. and how does Dublin compare to other kind of city councils across Europe so the likes of I think the Inquirer and Village all of that is there and people should really just rally behind it and try mm. and build an alternative media in this country yeah yeah definitely because there's there's definitely journalists out there I mean the reason I said the journalists because I'd like to think that I'm I'm left am I Dan um, <laughs> Communist. Any time I yeah, communist. Yeah, any I read, say Sinead O'Carroll's pieces in the journal, I just find myself agreeing with her all mm. the time. Do you know? And it's 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 the same. Sometimes it's the same reason, Ooh. like you said with opinion pieces in the journal. It I get the same kind of reaction when I read the Guardian. Mm. But one swallow does not a summer make, Graham. You're 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 referencing one journalist there. You probably say the same about Fintan O'Toole, would you? Possibly, yeah. But would you feel the same way about his publication? Um, no, because I, it's like what Donald said. I, I read. I, I don't go for the publication. I, read, mm. I go for the journalist. Yeah. Even my sports, I go to Ken Early. Yeah. Um, I go to Ian McKenna. Yeah. Um. No, but I, I like I, I'm, I'm not trying to. Uh, this isn't shithousery now. This is me. Just saying, <laughs> it usually is, is. This is me because you've referenced the journal very strongly and you've backed it up. No, I'm just querying is that the closest thing we have to say The Guardian? Right, okay. Yeah, I, you know, that's all I'm saying. I don't know. I, I personally don't think we have anything close to The Guardian. But, but I mean. Finton, I don't know if great Finton. I'm glad he's yeah. there though. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I think you that's know? how I feel. I'm glad he's there. Yeah, I'm glad I went he's to there. a talk with him in the do- at the Docky Book Festival and. He, he was just he was brilliant but there there's ha- there has been a few pay- pieces where I don't uh, agree with him but I love reading his pieces like Dave Hannigan yeah um, Dave, I don't Dave always agree with him but I love his writing really didn't like Finton's piece about Conor McGregor in the Irish Times yeah it was you interesting know, oh, everyone from Crumlin should forget Conor, Conor McGregor and focus on the real local hero Phil Linnett like yeah. Phil Linnett wasn't Patrick Peel mm. you know Phil Linnett lived a life with great difficulty and issues of addiction and other things too. Absolutely. Because uh, he was a human being. Yeah. You know, who yeah. was as faulted as we all are in our own ways. I just found Vinton uh, to be getting on a bit of a, an anti-McGregor bandwagon. Yeah. When, right. it passed, when it passed through town that time. And where, do you, where are you with Conor McGregor? Well, I have to say, I, got a, I don't think I've ever said this on record. I actually went to school with Conor McGregor. Oh, you oh, told him to, the Yeah, I went to Colossal. Yeah, he yeah. went there too. So I kind of I've, I've great admiration for him on a personal level for that reason. I think some of the way he's conducted himself, this uh, I think there's something very un-Irish about the flashness of it. You know, look yeah. at me, I have the 
15 grand soup. That's what me and Danny are Who like. Who cares in Ireland? You know? mm. Who cares? Nobody, Nobody cares. cares. People are more impressed by McGregor when he walks around with a belt that he's won. Damn. Than a Gucci, Gucci belt. belt. Exactly. You know? yeah. And I, I think it was very, there was something just very fundamentally un-Irish and kind of even on Dublin about it. But as a sportsman, I think he's second to none. And uh, I think he'll bounce back. I hope he bounces back. Mm. But I just yeah. felt there was a bandwagon going on there. And uh, this is a young working class guy who achieved global fame very, very quickly. Did some stupid things along the way. Yeah. Uh, but who I think it may, perhaps his best days he had to come. He may never back. He may actually never step into a, an octagon again. Yeah. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? But I hope he does. Yeah. Um, in terms of media in Dublin and from a historian point of view, there's been some great kind of papers and great kind of publications come and go over the years. Is yeah, there any absolutely. That, that um, you'd love to see resurrected? The, my favourite journal in Irish history was called The Bell. And the mm. bell was around in the 30s to 40s, I think into the 50s. And it was edited by um, Sean O'Fuelan, who was a great writer. And it went after censorship. I mean, it really hammered people on yeah. censorship. The censorship in Ireland was absolutely ludicrous. So I don't think we were... Like, the first film censor was a guy called James Montgomery. And when he got the job, he came out and said, I know nothing about the cinema, but I know my Ten Commandments, and that will guide me in my position. So, wow. You know, that, was, that, was the, that was the state attitude. And we, we won our independence in 22. Three years later, we set up a committee on evil literature. Like people were still evil living evil literature, evil literature, whatever that is. So people it's were still palace. living in the worst slums in Europe, and the priority of the first state was to set up a committee on evil literature. But the Bell constantly ridiculed the censor and yeah. published things deliberately to be provocative, and I thought that was great. You know, it was such a seditious thing, the Bell. Mm. Uh, uh, other things, I love the kind of the old fanzines, the punk fanzines in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, Pierce yeah. Street collected some of that in the Dublin City Library and Archive, and they're pretty they're pretty amazing to see as well. Uh, and Dublin Opinion, which was a illustrator's kind of cartoon focused thing in the thirties yeah. and forties. Uh, Frank Kelly's father, Frank Kelly was uh, Father Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah his yeah. father was the, the the main cartoonist in oh, that, wow. and that just ridiculed whoever was in power. You know, it was really? an equal opportunities offender. Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, whoever it was, they were savaged every week. And that's where uh, Frank obviously got his satire from then as well. Which uh, is yeah, brilliant. very yeah. much so. I think he came from that clot, you know. But all those publications that stood up against censorship, which is a very dangerous thing. Absolutely, you know, yeah. For a Western democracy, Ireland had a level of censorship on like, I mean, mm. off the top of my head, Gone with the Wind wasn't censored, but it was, it was cut so heavily it made almost yeah. no sense. Um, Clockwork Orange, Life of Brian, yeah, yeah. Natural Born Killers, Ulysses. Yeah. I mean, an American director, Joseph Strick, he made a movie adaptation of Ulysses, which is a really fucking brave thing to do because Ulysses, it's yeah. like you know, it's a very difficult book. Yeah. Trying to turn Ulysses into a into a two-hour movie was incredibly mm. ambitious. He did it, and we banned it. And we banned it from 1967 until 2000. The longest film ban in Irish history. Until 2000. 2000. And what was the reason? <laughs> so, oh, because you know, Ulysses is filth. I mean, yeah. Ulysses was, I think the New York Public Library system ordered 500 copies and member of staff read the book and said, don't hand this to anyone, it's basically pornography. <laughs> and in parts, Ulysses is pornography. I mean, we're the only yeah. nation, when you think about Bloomsday, the 16th of June every year, mm. we come out in the streets in our thousands and celebrate a fictional handjob. Ulysses is filled. I mean, the book when is, you put it like that, yeah. The book is full of sex. And Joseph Strick, in fairness to him, he left the sex in. Yeah. And we couldn't tolerate seeing sex on the big screen in, in 1960s Ireland or 1970s Ireland or maybe in 1990s Ireland. But we still can't. We still can't talk about sex. No, we can't. No. Like, we, we no. had um, sexologist on Emily, Emily Power Smith. And, like, it's just, she was on the Late Late Show as well. And 
the little chuckles and giggles when she was bringing up yeah, it's mad, sexual it? experiences. Why is that? Well, historically, why is that? Um, the Irish are obsessed with sex. And they're not obsessed with having sex. They're obsessed with other people having sex mm. and stopping other people having sex. And that goes right back. And I think if you look at not just the response to Ulysses, but say Edna O'Brien's book, Country Girls, when that came out, 1960, story of young, rural girls coming up to Dublin, sleeping around, falling in love. Like the local parish priest bought like three dozen copies of the book just to burn them outside mass. <laughs> because the idea of young women having sex was so shocking. And I always think of Oliver J. Flanagan, who was uh, his son, by the way, Charles Flanagan is Fine Gael TD. Yeah. He stood up once in Parliament and he said, there was no sex in this country before television. <laughs> so, so where did you come from, Oliver? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, it's such a, it, it's, it's, it's oversimplified, I think. People always say it's wrapped up in just Catholicism. Mm. I think it's wrapped up in a broader social conservatism and maybe, the, again, the smallness of the place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, it's 25 years this year since homosexuality was decriminalised, which is yeah. incredible. It's incredible. It's it's in our yeah. lifetime that happened, you know? And uh, the, 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 the We're very much still evolving as a country, aren't we? Absolutely, like, yeah, yeah. Like, we're the three of us are of the same generation and it's kind of gone... Like, I'm, I'm thankful it's evolving, but when you think of the decriminalisation of homosexuality and then even something as stupid as Playboy not being allowed mm. into the country mm. then you're yeah. saying Ulysses the movie banned until the year 2000 yeah, yeah. what he, the fuck you take um, that famous murder Declan Flynn young yes. gay lad murdered yeah. in Fairview. Fairview Park in the 1980s uh, the judge Judge Gannon said to the, the lads on trial he said what you did could never be considered murder you know and they walked away with suspended sentences and got a victory parade through the inner city area that they came from. Like that's something that happened in the living memory of the city of Dublin. You know, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And the uttering, the marginalization of um, gay people in particular, but also women who had any kind of open sexuality about them uh, is something that happened into the 1990s. Where do you think we are now with homosexuality? Um, Great question. I mean, the. You know what's kind of funny? The referendum on gay marriage passed by less than the referendum on abortion. Yeah. <laughs> it kind, of, yeah. kind of suggests that Irish people are more comfortable with abortion than they are with, 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 with gay, gay marriage. marriage. I don't know how that happened. It's nuts. Uh, it's been an extraordinary journey. And one thing I think is, is really nice, the National Library of Ireland have the Irish Queer Archive, which was collected yeah. by uh, Tony Walsh, a long-standing gay activist and archivist, and someone who in the 1980s had the sense to go, let's grab all this stuff. You know, posters for pride marches that... 100 people were going on yeah. instead of 60,000 like last week. Tony was like, let's keep that. And he built up this archive, tells the story of Gay Ireland, and it's in the National Library. And the fact it's in the National Library, I think, it's good. says something. You okay. know, it says that people today recognise that community as part of the national narrative. The, the, the Pride Parade this year, though, was taken off O'Connell Street and was put back on the back streets. Is that not a regressive move? I think there's something wrong about it because it's meant to be open. And it's meant to be, we are part of Irish society. And now it goes from Stevens Green to Smithfield via endless back streets. So it's kind of like private pride. or you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You might say it's in the closet. Absolutely. In some ways, would. it's not going down the main streets. It should be, it, so. it should be like Patrick's Day Parade. You yeah, want, it's getting bigger you want and bigger. To come out and, and in some ways, it's getting bigger and bigger and simultaneously more marginalised. Mm. You know, and I think that, that should be, like St. Patrick's Day, that should be right down the main tour of the city. But it used to be. Mm. What? Why the sudden change? They might say it's something to do with the trams or the Keegan, Lewis. Oh, Keegan, I think that's, probably, that's mm. probably exactly what they're saying. But if it's to do with the trams, 
let's have a St. Patrick's Day parade that goes from Stephen's Green to Smithfield via the back streets of the Liberties. Yeah. Yeah. We wouldn't do that because we recognise Patrick's Day as a fundamentally important part of what we are. Mm. And so is Pride. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, the Dice Man. Yeah, that's the last article I wrote. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Tom I McGinty. loved listening to you talk about him a couple of months back. In on news talk. On that was talk. very touching, that piece. And oh. people got in touch. That doesn't always happen. But seven or eight people got in touch with, with news talk and said, that was fucking great. Or Tom. I remember him. Or that meant a lot to hear that. Give us a monologue on the Dice Man. Oh, Tom McGinty. Who, who was he? He was Scottish by birth. Arrives in Dublin uh, in the 80s. And he's an actor. He's a very good actor, actually. Like, he acts in like Oscar Wilde plays. And he runs an acting school briefly in the West of Ireland, a theatre company. But his real grab was street performance. And, you know, if you walk down Grafton Street today, literally, as we're sitting here, there's probably 14 buskers playing eight Ed Sheeran songs. You know, from one end of the street to the other. That's, that's what street performance in Dublin is. The Dice Man could be anything. You could walk into town on Monday and he was dressed as Mona Lisa. You could walk in on Tuesday and he was dressed as the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And he got his name from a shop called The Dice Man, which was a games emporium in town. Right. So he was just this, I was going to say larger than life, he was a very slender man. But uh, he, he was just this brilliant street actor, street performer. And there was nothing like him. But he had AIDS and he went on the Late Late Show and talked about having AIDS. And I think for people that was like, okay, so AIDS isn't just this distant phenomenon that's happening in the gay clubs of New York. You know, it's something that people in Ireland are living with. And he talked about how he was dying. And I think the way he, he died in 1995, but I think everyone knew him, everyone loved him. 1995? 95. Mm. Everyone's kids knew him. People talk about going into town just to look at the Dice Man uh, and see what he was up to on that particular day. And I think he, he played a very important role in normalising which is funny because there was nothing normal about him. Like he was totally extravagant <laughs> yeah. and over the top. But he kind of normalised gay people, I think, for, for a lot of people in Dublin. And did he experience so any um, abuse from the public? I found a great newspaper report. I put it up on the blog that he was dragged into the courts in 91 for his uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show costume, which was very risque. Mm. And the guard said, we can't have people, you know, we can't have cross-dressers walking down Grafton Street. There was a little bit of that, I think, you know, maybe a... A six foot five Scottish man in fishnets is always going to make someone uncomfortable. Yeah. I think most people really talk Tom McGinty into their hearts, you know, and he's the kind of Dublin street character that I think Come Here to Me is all about celebrating. Right. Yeah. You know, those people are, um, they're in the collective memory of Dublin. And they're very, like Bang Bang, that's a great character. Yeah. You know, Bang Bang was someone who was very marginalised, lived most of his life in poverty, had, I think deep psychological issues. Uh, but it became a loved part of the city and my, like me and my parents talked about going into town and seeing Bang Bang jumping off the bus with his key. So they're, they're the people that make Dublin and if you take the characters away, it's just the city. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's, there's, still, there's still some characters. What, what are the characters that were kind there's, of... There's less and less in airtime now yeah, probably than, mm. there, than there were. The photographer Arthur... Arthur uh, Shields. Uh, not Arthur Shields, sorry, Arthur Fields. Arthur Fields, yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a great story, wasn't it? Yeah. Stood on the O'Connell Bridge and photographed people in their best clothes when they, no one had a camera. Yeah. Like, there's probably three, cam- there's three cameras on the table yeah. at the minute, you know, camera phones. But people didn't have a camera in the 50s and 60s. Arthur Fields stood on the O'Connell Bridge every day and just photographed and photographed. And then you could buy that picture. And most people, the only pictures they'll have, especially working class people who could never dream of owning cameras, the only pictures they'll have of their relatives in their house will be Arthur Fields' pictures. Yeah. Because they might have gone on a date to the cinema and on the way home, there was Arthur, and he took their photo. And they're really beautiful. And the lads, El Zerrero, who did National Treasures, they did that documentary, Man on Bridge. Yeah, they brilliant. collected 
thousands of those pictures. That's a brilliant visual uh, source. And in terms of fashion, in terms of Dublin architecture, like Nelson's Pillar is behind yeah, people yeah, and loads yeah. of pictures, and then suddenly it's just gone. Yeah. Do you know? Like the city's changing in those pictures as you follow them. Fashion's changing. People are physically changing. The hungry 1950s, you know, where clothes are literally hanging off people. Yeah. And then you know, things get a little bit better into the 60s. He went up to the 90s though, did he? He went up to, I'm not sure exactly when he went to, but he went to some mad time. Yeah, I think it was, it was definitely the 80s. The I think. story was really sad, you know, because he was there every day. And they discovered mm. he was there on like fucking Christmas Day, you know, like it was his whole life. Just some weddings and stuff. His family weddings. were just like, this was what Arthur did. So the characters are complex people. That's a complex man. You know, someone that's yeah. skipping Christmas dinner or family events to stand on a bridge and take photographs. There's something going on there. But the, they were, <laughs> were they marginalised by the public in terms of <clears throat> uh, something's wrong with them? They're, they have a mental... Well, we, we probably didn't know what mental health exactly. was back in the time. Like mental health facilities were just non-existent. Yeah. People are. talking about <laughs> mental health was totally non-existent. Uh, one of my heroes, a guy called Herbert Sims, he was the city architect from 32 to 48, the housing architect. And he built, you know all those beautiful flats around town? You definitely know them, like the Art Deco flats. Yeah. So behind the four courts. Did you give a talk? About I did. I did, yeah. I know the town. Chancery talk. Park, the flats behind yeah. the four courts. They look like Amsterdam. They've got these beautiful curves in them. Oliver Bond flats. Yeah. Uh, Marabon Lane, Markovich House, Pierce House, all these gorgeous 1940s, 1930s houses. And uh, he was so overworked. 1948, he threw himself out of the train. And he left a note basically saying, my brain is just unable for this. I can't go on. He said, I haven't had a moment's rest and I've nowhere to turn to and I'm overworked. And that shocked people in 1948. But Jesus, you know, people had breakdowns in 1948. People had depression in 1948, yeah. but people didn't talk about it. And that's, that's good, you know, in recent... I don't always agree with everything that the kind of... There's a kind of mental health industry of sorts now in Ireland. Mm. And I don't agree with everything that it says. Uh, but I'm glad people are talking about mental health. I think yeah. once that's happened, it's good. Yeah. I think you do a very good history of mental illness in Ireland, the asylums, mm. uh, and and the perception of mentally ill people through the ages. There's a great book in that, but it's 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 not a book for me. What yeah. was the? Um, there was another Dublin character. Um, was it Bang Bang or no? Was it uh, on O'Connell Street? A man dressed up as a woman. Was it? Got a selfie with him. <laughs> but they were always, always there. It's just brilliant characters. Like, a, 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 a young historian called uh, did any did Bobby O'Hearn. No, actually, my, my age, he did a book about them. Really, the book There's was a called book about them. Do you remember your man? Oh, oh, a great good. name for a book. Yeah, isn't it is. it? Very and good. he did little brief snapshots of all of them, and he found mad ones. He found this character who I'd heard mention of, didn't know much about Father Flash Kavanagh, and he was called Father Flash Kavanagh because he was a priest who didn't really want to be a priest. So he did mass really quickly. <laughs> so, so Flash Kavanagh's mass was like minutes, you know. And he was every, apparently when, when Flash Kavanagh was on, the church was just fucking rammed, and people were around the corner because they want that was the one you wanted to get to. Yeah. Off we go. So that's a great character. That is. Brilliant. I think he was Auden's church up in the Liberties, but Bobby wrote about him, and he wrote about all these great, great characters. And, uh, yeah, they're, they're all remembered. That's the mad thing about them. Yeah. Walk into a pub in Dublin, people remember them. That's brilliant, isn't it? You uh, you mentioned kind of like the, the photo showing a change in city, and then you mentioned some of the architecture and that. And the city, even now, was undergoing massive changes and all that. Is there any part of it that you're kind of sad to see changing, or is there any part that you think, mm, you know question. what, this is um, going to be, in 30 years, we'll look at that and say, that was great, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, progress is a funny thing. You know, you lose, you lose, uh, you lose a lot along the way. Mm. The one that always gets me in my gut is the fact that they knocked down Georgian houses at yeah. Merrion Square to build the premises for the electricity supply board, and now they've knocked down the electricity supply board premises and they're going to build fake Georgian houses. Yeah. Like where else could that? Where could that happen? It's like the trams, though, isn't it? Get Anywhere rid of the trams. The oh, we get the trams back. Yeah, it's mad. It's absolutely yeah. mad, isn't it? And uh, I kind of worry a bit about Moore Street. I think the way that's been up and down, and that's been in the air yeah. for so long. That's a street that has deliberately been let fall into neglect. I mean, they developers do not want a happy, flourishing Moore Street. I mean, mm. they want a shopping centre there. Mm. And I, I think there's too much emphasis on Moore Street as a 1916 battlefield site. That's important, by the way. It's hugely important. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But more importantly for me is Moore Street as a living market street. Yeah. And that's being lost. That's being lost, and that yeah. argument probably doesn't fly with the developers, so you have to yeah. use the emotive argument of the 1916. Yeah, we have a statue of a fictional female street trader in Dublin yeah, and she's outside a tourist office on Suffolk Street. Mm. Why isn't she on Moore Street, where there's actual street traders? You know, Molly Malone, the spirit of Molly Malone. She never existed as a, as a person, but she embodies mm. something bigger. Is surely on Moore Street, and that's where that monument should be. Yeah. So I really do worry for Moore Street, and every time I go down, I look at it I'm like, fuck, this place is falling apart. Yeah, like literally, building by building, that street is crumbling around itself, and has to be saved. I think for its social history as much as anything else. So that yeah. that does worry me. <coughs> I want, to, one, yeah. I want to ask about the allure of the, the, the traditional point man there's some great stories like um, of point men and, and people kind of look up to them away but not but sorry um, <laughs> it, it, not, I'm not saying but because I, li- I like yeah the Paddy Lossity thing and all that yeah, yeah. There's, there's nothing like going into a, a pub in town and the Longstone or so, something like that it, it, it brought me back to the Anthony Bourdain documentary mm. on Dublin, and he was going into all the old establishments, and you could every image was of a point man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Are point men? Are they? Are they lonely characters? Yeah, I, I thought that was really funny at first, and we ran with it, and we got we milked that one, you know, for everything that was in it, the point man thing. Uh, but then I read that book that the image came from. Uh, it's a great book, Kevin C. Kern's Dublin Pub Life and Lore, and it's sad. You know, at its core, it's quite a sad story. Yeah. Mm. And the, the role of the public house in the absence of anything else. Like mm. today, I do a lot of talks from men's sheds around brilliant. Dublin. I think they're brilliant. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's a gang of blokes coming together, doing something every week that isn't drinking. Yeah. yeah. You know, absolutely. In yeah. itself, that is absolutely brilliant. Because everything we do in some ways, even like going to the League of Ireland, starts and ends in the pub. Yeah. You know, so mm. something that doesn't is really, really good. And I just think there was an awful sadness in a lot of those men. That, like, Kevin Cairns interviewed a lot of people in that book. Right. And uh, the pub was their lives, you know? Yeah. In the absence of being able to go and talk to people anywhere else. Well, we, we still even hear that. I mean, it's, it's 2018, and, I mean, look, we give the Healy Rise as much stick as anything on this podcast. Like, But, I mean, it's 2018, and then, you know, our Parliament buildings, they regularly talk about things that are happening that will restrict people who live in rural Ireland from mm. getting down to the pub and mm. that is their only social activity if you take that away what have they got yeah and you, you know, know the thing about the pub I mean I love Grogan's pub that's my local t- in town and there's people that go into Grogan's and don't actually drink they just sit there and they drink yeah. tea or they just talk so they're going there for 20-30 years they know mm. each other they know the place at the back of their hands the pub is an important social thing mm. in Ireland absolutely you can go to the pub and not get absolutely tanked 
History though, isn't it? Grogan's put a fucking ATM into the pool. I don't know. Grogan's put an ATM into the pool. You can, of course, at the end of the bar. It looks like R two D two. It's taken away. It's taken away two seats at the bar. And an old regular Maura came in, and I said, "What do you think of that?" She goes, "It's fucking awful." I said, "What's wrong with it?" She goes, "That's taken up the seat where Luke Kelly used to sit." What are a pub in Dublin? Could you say something like that? Yeah. And you could pick any corner of Grogan's. I remember she saying, oh, um, Patsy O'Hara, you know, who died on hunger strike, 1981 yeah. with Bobby Sands. He used to come in here and he used to sit over there. Kathleen Behan, Brendan's mother, used to sit over there. And still people like Robert Balla, the artist, drop in there all the time. So I don't think any other public house in town has that sense of tradition. They've no so. radio, they've no television, so you have yeah. to talk. Because people won't sit in silence. They only do toasties as well, they don't they? They only do toasties. Yeah. But it's creeping. It's, I mean, the modern age has crept into Grogan's. Uh, with things like the ATM Have machine. you discussed this with management? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I've threatened a, a revolt of the customers. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll have the Pygmalion cocktail drinkers over soon. And actually they're coming over yeah. to use the ATM and then leaving again. So, I think that's something that, that does threaten anything that in any way is clinging. For dear life it's clinging to sort of saying, you know what, we're in the past and we're happy to stay in the past. Yeah. I just think there's too much. People are in too much of a hurry to get mm. to the future. Do you yeah, know what I mean? yeah, absolutely. I Pillars agree of with my that. life, you know. Mm. Morrissey and Grogan's—they're both letting me down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and St. Pat's. Uh, and St. Pat's, but, but since we last did this, I've got very into Dublin GAA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I thought you were into it anyway. No, I was, I was half into it. I was okay. half baked into it. But my friend Brano Kevin, uh, who works in sports media, he said, "Come with me to to an Ireland Cup game in Parnell." I just thought it was great. Really? It had the kind of community of the League of Ireland, but on a bigger scale, you know, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I just love going to the hill now and I love that tradition that's there too. I'm a begrudging fucker towards the GAA, you see. That's my problem. <laughs> like, I want to like it, but I won't let myself like it. Do you know what I mean? I'm just, yeah. And there's times I've caught myself, especially in the last couple of years with hurling in particular, caught myself watching a match and really enjoying it and then forced myself to change the channel because like, no, I hate the GA. Well, it's about the GA's an institution. You know, yeah, that's, you know, yeah, you know the, the way they tried to force Kildare to play that game in Crop Park. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Of that, yeah. And I love the fact, and but again, but I hate saying it, but by the time this goes out, sure, but it'll all have played out. But I love the fact that Donegal are kind of pushing them and saying, well, how can something be a neutral venue and a home venue? Can you explain mm, that to us, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're right, like, yeah. Me, and me, myself, and uh, Pathlane tried to go out to Dublin matches. 2002, 2003, yeah. when he first came out from England, and we were getting into it, and then there was a time where I think we just kind of just looked at each other and I was like, I just can't get into it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love. Well, Shamrock Rovers, you had that experience yeah. of going to war with Thomas Davis. Absolutely. So I remember the banners, no surrender to the GAA. What did you think of that episode? Uh, well, how did you think the GAA um, handled themselves? Friends of mine who follow Shamrock Rovers will never watch a Dublin GA again. They yeah. don't care. And they would have been Dublin GA before Some it. of them would have been. And if Dublin were to win the hurling and the football, it would mean nothing to them anymore. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was it was petty to the in the extreme, the way it all played out. But the hill, there's something about the hill, you know, that all Dublin life is there. Yeah. And it's it's pre- predominantly, I think, very working class thing. Mm. I remember reading when Heffo's army came along in the 70s, when Dublin started doing well, media were just horrified they're like who are these kids yeah you know, on the hill they're singing you'll never walk this is singing you'll never walk alone really because they were kind of aping what they were seeing on the terraces in England no way you so never the, knew that the hill is like it's it's Dublin at it's best in some ways you know yeah. do you think it's working class I, I think this a 
It still is. I don't. I think the GA is turned away from working. It's some way. Maybe an air area with Kula. Um, I don't know because like obviously Kula at the moment are riding high and that's what's getting the open. I mean, th- there's a huge tradition of GA everywhere. In fairness, yeah, like, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is. When I lived in Cabra for years. They fin bars, the local club up there. They they ran everything. Like, yeah. nothing moved in Cabra without someone from Nathan Maris being involved in it. You know, right. I mean, they were a classic club in the sense that it wasn't just Gaelic football and hurling. Like the history club, the old folks' dinners, everything came out of that place. Yeah. And soccer, our community, just can't match that. No, I can't not. We're no. not able to. No, we're not. We Unfortunately. Like we're playing like how do, how are Pats and Rovers and Bows and the like paying players? Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you look at the attendances, like we need a, a Saudi Arabian sugar daddy like Galway. Like Galway, like yeah. Galway have managed to find. <laughs> um, do you listen to podcasts? Um, not in the historical sphere. Yeah, uh, I don't know why not though. Maybe I'm just very, I'm a bit of a luddite when it comes to technology. It's a bit of a postman's holiday thing. Isn't yeah, it? maybe it is. Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe it is. I listen to a lot of radio. Mm. Uh, we've a radio in the house since I was on, you know, and yeah. I think listening to people talk is great. That's very traditionalist, isn't yeah, it? Isn't yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Um, move the dial from RTE to Newstalk. I think, I, think <laughs> I think you'd be. I think I'd listen to you on a podcast. Um, I pitch an idea to you that you do come here to me, come here to me as a podcast. Or else you and Frankie Gaffney start the podcast. That'd together. be great, wouldn't it? And the two of you just talk for 40 minutes. That'd be great. Yeah. That, would, that would go down really well with, uh, with Irish Twitter. Yeah. yeah. That would go yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you still bad? I'm nowhere near Twitter anymore. But uh, I, think, I, 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 I just think Frankie's um, passion for Dublin lingo yeah. and dialect is amazing. And when he was on Cutting Edge oh yeah. my God. explaining the Dublin dialect, and everyone was just like, wow. Oh, yeah. on the panel it's amazing I'd love to see him write a book on uh, Hiberno-English yeah. which is a yeah. very different thing from English-English oh it is yeah, yeah. You taught the English how to speak English what's it like just sitting and have an appointment uh, no, normally it's a coffee Frankie's a lot more sophisticated oh is he <laughs> <laughs> and he'll just give you his, his wisdom and Frankie is probably one of the only people I know that's actually read Ulysses mm. cover to cover and he'll give you these nuggets about it that you'd never noticed or you never yeah. knew so he, he just finds things and his book, like Dublin 7, which I'm reading at the moment, a little bit too slowly for Frankie, because he texts me, have you, have you finished that book? Yeah, <laughs> finished yeah. that book. Uh, it's amazing. There's the, the hidden references to Joyce, to Shakespeare, the play on language. Like People yeah. think Dublin 7 is about the postcode Dublin 7. Yeah. And it's not. It's actually kind of wrapped up in a kind of Shakespearean nod. You know, like everything about it is just really, really intelligent. He's very he, he waxed lyrical about Shakespeare rules for a total of, I'd say, less than five minutes. <laughs> and in, in those five minutes with us I was sitting there and I was like my English teacher was alleged but if he had explained Shakespeare to me like this I'd have fucking loved it yeah yeah. Like in five minutes he mad- managed to do more for Shakespeare I mean, than for like fucking six years of school yeah. you know what I mean he was in the Pride programme last week himself and his mother that's brilliant really I've seen it was brilliant, it. It was brilliant. Yeah. I think yeah. of, like Frankie has perfect credentials yeah when it comes to kind of identity politics he could stand mm. up and say oh my mother's a lesbian you know yeah uh, i think this but he doesn't you know and he, he talks about class politics yeah and that's very important i think that's but people don't believe that there's class there's a class war going on like there's no class in ireland that's yeah. the famous one isn't it yeah. yeah ernie o'malley great writer he used to say in ireland there's more layers in class than the layers of an onion yeah. <laughs> you know that t- tuppence and a halfpenny look down on tuppence yeah, yeah everyone yeah. aspired to be middle class in Ireland that was always the, the thing what was it David McWilliams called them the, the, the garden the deckers or the decklanders uh, De- deckland yeah I think it was the de- something deckland everyone and aspired for that had, 
There was two of them. Fuck. That's <laughs> gonna wreck me head because I was only talking to somebody about this. Actually, one of the guys I work with actually um, worked with Dave McWilliams on two of his books, and it just randomly came up. And that's we were talking about it recently. Declan, and I can't know what the room was. Fuck. Mm. Do you like Dave McWilliams? You'll have to edit that silence out. <laughs> <laughs> um, is the, is the, oh, no, no, I suppose what I'm getting at there, that there's a lot of, um, in, in, in the public domain at the moment, there's a lot of, Blind Boy, do you like Blind Boy? I like a lot of what Blind Boy that says. Like fucking right? gear change wherever I see him. Um, yeah, yeah but I suppose one, one public like figure to another. Um, I like a lot of what Blind Boy says. I think someone talking about mental health in the way he does in public is always going to be a good thing but I don't agree with everything he says and I think this idea that uh, young men are depressed because they don't have feminism in their lives I don't think that's particularly helpful I think in my own case like friends of mine who, who have fought and lost that battle in some cases I think an awful lot of young men's anxiety and depression is wrapped up in things like economic status it's a generation of people that are earning less than their parents yeah you know, no one wants to be a 30-year-old man who lives at home with their parents. Mm. But that's the economic reality now for an awful lot of people. Uh, a lot of people, young people are working. They're working, but they're not, like the 40-hour week is kind of gone. Mm. They work very precariously. Rent has never been higher. They can't pay their way. I think the economic pressure that's on people, and young men deal with that worse, perhaps. I think it's the driving force. I think you're onto something very succinct there as well, because... There's this whole notion of, you know, getting out on your own two feet, getting out and doing things the mm. way you should be doing, i.e. get off the tit, get out from under the parents, you know, yeah. and you can't. You can't, you can't and yeah. you have this added factor then of people tend to like to try and get out on their own two feet, as it were, in an area that they know and in an area that they're familiar with. So you don't want to move too far away from where you grew up. You want to stay where you know kind of thing. Mm. But now... The only, thing you, can do. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing you can do like now, especially right about Dublin, like this. Like to- there is a toxic masculinity that exists. You know, and you see that, like, what happened that case in the, with the rugby players. And there's, there's, a, there's a certain sick kind of toxic masculinity that's a mm. real issue. But I think for most people, for most young men that find themselves in that, I've been in that cycle of kind of depression. Uh, I think the answer is, is it's not there. You know, it's not where he yeah. thinks it is. But in general, I think as, as a progressive voice in mainstream Irish media very very important to have yeah. someone like that. Yeah. that I suppose that's what the question I was getting at in terms of public figures Yeah. who would be like in 10, 15, 20 years time as a historian who would, who would we look back on fondness with fondness with like will blowing boy I think he will think be looked back yeah. on fondness I think he definitely will um, as, as the economist goes Dave McWilliams I think he possibly will as well but I, I, I'm not sure whether it'll be more so oh they should have listened to him or mm. does he have all the answers? Or do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Anyone that's kind of made a contribution to national dialogue, I think that's generally speaking, yeah, a good thing. Unless you're someone like Kevin Myers, and the reason you sparked the national dialogue <laughs> is because you've said something horrific. Yeah, Kevin Myers, you know, like attacking the waters or something. Generally, when someone like uh, Blind Boy McWilliams starts a dialogue, that's intrinsically a good thing. I mm. think. Or John Waters on Eamon Dunphy. <laughs> Yeah, bollocks! Yeah. Like, I like Dunphy. And I think his uh, memoir, The Rocky Road, is one of the greatest Irish memoirs ever written, just in terms of like, Dublin life growing up. He was at that game that the Buzz people claims he was at that game. That but the, this is the, the thing with Dunphy. Who knows what's he Like, recently with the World Cup coverage, he made a comment about um, Kylian Mbappe for France. 
and said he's not one of these chancers. He's not like Paul Pogba who changes his hair every <laughs> every, every single day. Yeah. And then pictures emerged of Kylian Mbappe with four different hairstyles in the last ten months. Yeah. It's like what? Like why are you talking like that? He, I mean, and he, he went from Sinn to the Progressive Democrats. To, mm. I mean, he's jumped across the political spectrum. I think if you if you left Eamon Dunphy in a room on his own for half an hour. Four different political organisations would emerge. Yeah, you know, that kind of yeah, way. hundred yeah. percent. But he's he's great that it's, it's great that he's there. Do you think? Is, yeah. I, I, I think, think he I think he served his time for us as a like as a public speaker or whatever. Don't get me wrong. I do actually still listen to his podcast from time to time. Um, but it's just it. He's just always contradicts. He's a parody. I'd start. I'm starting to think it's actually a <laughs> pretty match I'm watching. Yeah. Because yeah. no, nothing that he says is is true. Like. Yeah. He's, when, when he said he backed Argentina and then they lost and then he said <laughs> South America has are in decline in football but you, just, you backed them to win like yeah. yeah he's just nuts I never read the book though but he's a national treasure in his own way you know yeah. and uh, he'll be there he'll be there eternally I think mm. do you think yeah I don't, they won't get him out at all have no. you any um, or what was your experience like a national treasure what an amazing concept for a yeah. show Wow. Um, the Irish Times reviewed it and called it the anti-capitalist antiques roadshow <laughs> I'd say you were loving that that's what it was <laughs> yeah like we went around the country and we said to people bring stuff that you think is historically important it doesn't matter what it's worth you know it could be worth 100,000 euros it could be worth 20 euros yeah. we're not going to even value it that doesn't matter and we're going to take the best items and put them on display in a museum and they're going to tell the story of Ireland and for anyone that hasn't seen it I mean it's up online the stuff that came in was amazing. Lawrence McKeown, provi- that's an aeroplane gone very low overhead. You have to, you have to, <laughs> you have to that out as well. Is that Putin? That was Putin. The war's begun. Uh, Lawrence McKeown, IRA hunger striker. He came in in Belfast. He was the most dapper man I've ever seen in my life. He's wearing a waistcoat, a dicky bow, he had a scarf on. What's that made out of? Oh, that's a Lankesh blanket. Do you know when he, and did you recognise when he came in? Uh, I, I knew we kind of knew in some cases who was coming because we had to have three or four interviews in each place set up do you know what I mean right, right. so at least if we had a terrible day out we had those three or four guaranteed yeah, gold yeah. mines and yeah to see someone wearing a Lankesh blanket someone that was in prison with Bobby Sands that's just wow that is nuts mm. isn't it uh, beautiful little items like uh, Tony Walsh who I mentioned earlier he brought a poster from the Hirschville Centre gay community centre opens in 1979 in Temple Bar you know, before decriminalisation. Yeah. Where Toll of Vintage is now, opposite uh, Urban Outfitters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the Hirschfeld Centre, named after Magnus Hirschfeld. He's known as the Einstein of sex, German kind of yeah. uh, left-wing sexologist. So like your, like your guests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, it was burnt to the ground, the Hirschfeld. But some stuff survived, including this poster, and you can see the smoke damage on the poster. So that was amazing. The first ever sponsored GAA jersey, worn by Galway, I think in the 70s, Galway Oil, and uh, some of the players said, I'm, I'm not wearing that. I'm not a soccer player. Why are we wearing sponsorships on our jerseys? Well, and there was a backroom revolt. You know, fellas saying, this is an amateur sport. We go out and we represent our county for love, not for money. I'm not wearing Galway oil on my jersey. And there it was, one of the first ever sponsored gackets. So they're all good social stories. Yeah. And they all came forward because people came forward. I'd say you were loving being a part of that, were you? That's great. And is there any chance of a series two? I hope so. I think they should. Because the market share rose weak. I, I, to be honest, I wouldn't care if... I think if we made it and no one watched it, but it was preserved, and maybe in 50 years someone would find it and they'd show it then, yeah. it still, still would have been worth doing. Yeah. But people did actually watch it. And the numbers were good, and the Twitter feedback was very good. 
and they hate everything on Twitter so if they like the but I, I, I tweeted saying that um, you should go to um, like place like Manchester and great wouldn't it the diaspora the, the diaspora like go to the diaspora in, in, in the UK or yeah. maybe to get you as a holiday or whatever but no <laughs> imagine going to I a, think we should do it in the Canary Islands <laughs> <laughs> imagine going to a, the Irish Centre in London though Camden Irish Centre yeah. do you know what I mean imagine uh-huh. going there and imagine going to Manchester or Liverpool or strong Irish going to Glasgow and getting stuff yeah. that like people emigrate what did you bring it'd be unbelievable uh, wouldn't it yeah it's, it's a concept that's just fantastic mm. and because it was RTA they could dip into the RTA archives brilliant yeah. so not only were you talking about the items but then you could you're shown at it. like a reeling of the years type and a lot of deja vu like uh, live aid footage of live yeah. aid yeah. You know, unemployed people just doing it for themselves I thought John Creed was self-aid, perfect pardon me self-aid, self-aid. self-aid. footage of self-aid John Creed was perfect I thought he was perfect for it yeah. God he knows his music <laughs> does he yeah. I mean he loves everything I was like what bands are you listening to and he'd be like Langham or a folk band Future Islands like kind of indie new wave band yeah. and he knows like Kendrick Lamar and he listens to everything you listen to everything as well though yeah that's important I think yeah. Kendrick Lamar I just cannot get into though no, no. you know Storms he did uh, I'm not so much into Stormzy. I'm a massive fan of Drake, though. <laughs> yeah, which is a bit of a secret. Uh, Nothing secret wrong with session. that, man. Nothing wrong Drake with that. Drake is up there for me now in the top five, but uh, I, I just love his his confidence. He, he dropped a new album last week, <laughs> and the first song includes the line, "Mount Rushmore is me with four different expressions." <laughs> That's an egotist, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, he's, he's your substitute for your Morrissey at the moment. Yeah, he's, he's filling that gap. But John Creedon knows everything. If they ever picked up a guitar, we were talking about Tommy Potts, who was a traditional Irish fiddle player. We're talking about like Gang of Four, a punk band in the seventies and eighties. He knew everything, and he, he just has a great grasp for people. Mm. And he can talk to an academic professor, or he can talk to the farmer who's come in with something he found in his field. And it works both times. Brilliant. Have you had any projects coming up? Um, no, no. And I'm open to doing something like that again. I hope there's scope to do something like that again. One thing that came into my head was why not do it with songs? You know, it'd be good serious. Don't go around the country and like get songs. And the story of songs. Yeah, songs that are fallen through the cracks of history. Like Donegal, for example, has a long history of migration to Glasgow. Mm. It's a very strong connection between parts of Donegal, the Glenties in Glasgow, Celtic, all of that. And uh, it'd be great to go up to Donegal and get the immigrant songs mm. yeah. of going to Glasgow. Or, you know, get the songs of um, the shipyards in Belfast that are gone. Or, you know, the Dublin songs, the Dublin Street songs and rhymes. Yeah. I think that'd be amazing to correlate them because they die with people. They do die with people. That'd be brilliant. The songs in the Irish Traditional Music Archive that have read the lyrics to, and they say, oh, we don't know what that sounds like. <laughs> we don't yeah. know what air that was meant to be sung to. Because probably the last person they knew was dead. So yeah. it's important to correlate not just physical items, which yeah. is great, but memories, songs, all of that. A database of memory. Yeah. That'd be brilliant. League of Ireland even. Oh, stop. Mm. Great to sit down and talk to people about yeah. going to the League of Ireland and yeah. like the Busby Babes and Shamrock Rovers playing in front of what, fifty thousand people? Yeah, yeah. Every single person that was at that match and is still alive should be interviewed about. Be brilliant with that. Give me a grant to do that. Yeah. <laughs> BAI if you're listening. Yeah. <laughs> um Donald, it's been great having you on again, man. And it's one of them that you could easily just sit here just shooting the breeze all night, man, because you could go anywhere, like, you know. Yeah, it's not often um, you get to talk about um League of Ireland football, sex, Frankie <laughs> Gaffney, <laughs> Morrissey, <laughs> architecture, 
and Hill 16. Yeah. <laughs> with, with a sprinkle of Drake. <laughs> Everyone listen to the album, Scorpion. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and Leeds or Till, bring, bring Drake to Ireland. Put him on. Yeah. <laughs> in Wheelands. In Wheelands. Yeah, in, in, in the Workmans. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, Can you imagine? Um, the community blog is still going it's still going strong yes I found it in 2009 so uh, 10 years old next year well, wow yeah and thousands of articles on it two yeah. books uh, two books yeah volume two came out there last uh, last Christmas Eamon Delaney the journalist once described Khmer to me he said I don't know if he meant it as a compliment or an insult he said it's, it's like the love child of the Communist Party and League of Ireland football and that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's what you dream of that's exactly what we wanted to be yeah. called but uh, yeah. it's still going strong it's still going strong and hopefully there's there's, uh, there's a few more years on that as well brilliant brilliant and uh, what, just so people if they haven't already checked it out and they don't know what they're missing yeah so it's come here to me.com and we cover I mean we literally cover every aspect of social history yeah. in Dublin and I think that's you know that's where history happens yeah you know it's not Michael Collins did this and Leo Varadkar did that it's social change the referendum that just happened is a social change that's when there's a sea mass when there's a movement within mm. people and we try and kind of talk about moments like that you know in the history of, of the city so things like the Dublin housing action campaign in the 60s the gay rights movement in the 70s all yeah. of that I think stories like that just have to be preserved absolutely brilliant um, Meryl yes tell the fine people where we've been coming from uh, Castle Hotel County they do a lovely bottle of Bomers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's cold. People may have heard me drinking from that uh, pint bottle of Bomers. We're just, we're just melting here. So Chilled to perfection <laughs> of a warm summer evening. It's Fitzpatrick's Castle Hotel. Come on, what's the website again? Fitzpatrickcastle.com. That's it. We're on WTSpod.com. You can go to our website. That's yeah. what it is. It is. Did that, did it's like yeah. Well done. Uh, we're on Spotify now as well. We oh, are on Spotify yeah. now. So yeah. just go to WTSpod and any other podcast provider. Yeah. Um, you can get us on Twitter at WTSpod. You can get us on Facebook. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash WTSpod Ireland. Can indeed. And while you're on Spotify listening to us, why not jump over to our mate, our mate, our mate, Verity? out of his mouth come rhymes yeah about Ballybrack Bally which me and Meryl feature on yeah um, welcome to Ballybrack the new hit single yeah yeah it was, it was fun being involved in that yeah it was and I think the fun hasn't ended but I'll say no more no. because it's not our project no Ballybrack what do you call people from Ballybrack Ballybrackians Brackers Brackers they're like yeah. the Cocconians of Dublin they, they love themselves of course <laughs> man someone from Ballybrack yeah. do we bang on about Ballybrack yeah it's great yeah, it's brilliant I love it that is. sense of uh that that sense of place does that really happen yeah yeah. I think the other the other example is people from Cabra people yeah. in Cabra think the sun shines out their arses I mean they don't they're wrong they, they, don't, they, don't, they don't go beyond Cabra and Cabra is the <laughs> beginning and the end of everything but yeah, yeah Ballybrackians Bally uh, have a similar sense of pride in themselves Deadly. well yeah. earned Brackers <laughs> the Brack on the border on that note <laughs> that's it uh, thanks again Don thanks great Don it's to get you in again uh, next yeah, year yeah it's great it's great I mean, go for your hat trick an illustrious mm. like going through the people that have been on this podcast uh, from mm. Emma Kerwin to John Connors and famous GAA commentators and sexologists yeah. uh, and just it's just an amazingly diverse thing it's in the archives it's in the archives in a thousand years they'll listen to this and they'll say who the fuck was Drake <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to end it. I don't know, Meryl. Here it is. Ball hearts. I lose. Good luck.